What's up, everyone? My next guest on the Heart Speaks podcast is Dr. Thomas Jordan. He's a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst with a private practice in New York City. He's on the faculty of NYU's postdoctoral program in psychoanalysis. He's the author of Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life, and founder of the lovelifelearningcenter.com. We had a great conversation about romantic love, about things that come up that can hinder us from having sustainable, loving relationships. And he stressed the importance of relationship, which, you know, is my whole thing. Talked about some of the things that we all, I'm sure many of you, some of you, like myself, struggle from or struggle with things like abandonment issues for which we might overcompensate and develop defensive mechanisms, dependency issues that often come up that actually stem from childhood. So we got into it. If you're interested in learning how to start to practice the principles that will lead to having a sustainable, loving relationship, check out this podcast, share it with your friends, tweet it, you know, Facebook it, whatever you have to do and spread the word. As always, I'm your host, Chloe Valdery, and this is the Heart Speaks podcast. Can you hear me? Even people over 60 can do this kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) It is possible. (laughs) We'll keep that a secret. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. How are you, Dr. Jordan? Good to see you. Oh, not bad, not bad. Happy. I'm back from vacation, back in my element. (laughs) Where'd you you go for vacation? I went down to Virginia Beach. Ah. I like the ocean. It's healing. And uh, I I sit by the water for about five weeks. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. I also love the water. What What does the ocean do for you? The salt air and the sounds. It's meditative. I love that. And it's just rejuvenating. I I like riding my road bike. And uh, I live in the middle of New York City on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. So to get away from the hustle and bustle is a a real treat. Very cool. Okay. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you today. I hear that you're the expert on love. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) You know, can I make a slight correction on that? Sure. I, I'm trying to be an expert on love relationships. Okay. Love. In my book, I in the preface, I say, this is not a book about love, that mm. wonderful emotion that's unpredictable and uncontrollable. What it is, it's a book about love relationships, the relationships we form when we fall in love. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm focused on. That's what we can do something about. We can't make ourselves not love somebody or mm. fall out of love. I mean, these are natural, unpredictable, uncontrollable controllable processes. So uh, it's really the relationship people form, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, when they fall in love. That's what I'm about. Mm. So can you lay out for me the difference? What are some of the signs uh, that make up a healthy relationship Uh and an unhealthy relationship? What should we be on the lookout for? Yeah, well, what I did is I've been studying unhealthy love lives for a very long time. And Mm -hmm. over time, I've collected information, understanding what kind of things repeat in Mm. people's love lives in particular. And I began to look at that very closely and found that people often replicate unhealthy relationship experiences they've had earlier in life. In fact, you can think about your love life as starting from the moment you're born because it involves love. Mm -hmm. So we can define love life as any and all relationships involving the emotion of love. So the first person you see when you're born, good old mom, (laughs) that's a love relationship. And it's a bonding and it's a unity. So and it continues for the rest of your life. We can learn things early in life, unfortunately, that get replicated into our adult love life. And I saw that over and over and over again. I'll give you a classic example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had a number of patients over the years that had un- an unfortunate abandonment by a parent. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is they're repeating abandoning relationships in their mm-hmm. love life, in their adult love life, either finding people who abandon or abandoning love relationships themselves and all the misery that comes with that. So what happens is that there's a replication that's totally unconscious. Yeah. I'll give you another example. I saw a person, early 50s, first interview, we're talking in the office. She tells me about her childhood. Father is an alcoholic. When he used to drink, he'd get violent. Mm -hmm. He was uh, physically abusive to their mom. The kids would watch this happen. So I'm taking that history. And then she tells me, oh, and I married two men and divorced two men. They were both alcoholics and abusive. Mm-hmm. And my boyfriend is an alcoholic. So I say to her, do you think there's a relationship between what environment you grew up with and what's happening in your love life? And I will never forget 
the look she gave me, like, what? <laughs> like that link had yeah. not been made. Yeah. And it's so important that that link be made. That's why I wrote the book, because I wanted people to realize that there's a learning experience that accounts for the love life problems that we have, mm. and that people are not really thinking about working on their love life. Mm. Uh, they think of their love lives as involving you know, themselves and the person they love, and that's all fine, and there's an understanding there. I'm talking about the psychology of the individual, what yeah. we bring with us. I know this a little bit personally, a lot personally, because another reason why I wrote the book is I changed my own love life. Mm. Between 17 and 35, I had what I like to call a disappointing love life, multiple relationships with people, lousy endings, mm -hmm. uh, similar type of people I was dating over and over again. My mom taught me that eligible women were dependent, controlling, and self-centered mm. because that's what she was. I was going to say, I didn't want to say it. <laughs> it's okay. I love my mom dearly, and I think she, from heaven, she helps me understand these processes, right? Yes. Um, so I was repeating it over and over again till a therapist I had pointed it out. Looks like you're using your mom's template to try mm -hmm. to figure out what to do in your love life. Wow, what a shocker that was. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that this thing was in control of my love life, this learning that I had that had taken place. So took a little break from dating, figured out some things I needed to change. For example, instead of dependent women, looking for independent people. Mm -hmm. Instead of controlling people, look for people who are more comfortable being themselves without controlling in a relationship. Instead of self-centered people, look for people who can be mutual, who can be intimate mm -hmm. in a relationship. So I kind of think of that era as a little bit of an internship. I was studying the female. I had no sisters, three <laughs> brothers. So I, I was like, well, like I had like this <laughs> women, what are women? Let's yeah. try to understand them psychologically. Then my wife showed up. I've been mm. married for 28 years. She's an independent, not controlling, intimate woman. Mm. Beautiful. So I said, if I can do this, I can write it in a book that people can read nice and simple, put some ideas in their head that they begin to work on their love life. So how long did that intermittent period take place where you stopped dating and you did? Yeah, work? it's probably variable per the individual. But I'll tell you what I did when I received that information from my, my analyst. What I did is I started to feel like my love life was out of control. I, mm. I had no management of it. I had no ability to, to shape it, to do something with it. So backed off dating, started to make changes like where I was meeting people and who I was hanging out with, started to think mm. more about relationships instead of just sex or just encounters or a mm. good time, so started to think about companion. You know, because I at the time I was about 36 years mm -hmm. old and I was starting to think, OK, I was out of school, had a job, had a life. What am I going to do? Be alone for the rest of my life? Let me think about this. So interestingly enough, I made friends with women, best mm -hmm. friends. I had a best friend for about five years. She was also a psychologist. We hung around together. We went out together. No romance, mm -hmm. no sex, no nothing, just talk and relationship. Mm -hmm. And she was an independent, not controlling, intimate woman. Mm -hmm. And I think in those five years, and I don't know if everybody has to do five years yeah. to pop out of this kind of thing, but in those five years, I learned that my mother's model was too small, mm. was too slanted, too biased towards something that's not going to work in my love life. I don't think it worked in her love life either. Mm -hmm. My parents were together for 70 years, but I think there were differences between them and issues between them that never got addressed. So, but it was really interesting. My best friend moved away. And at that point, it was like, okay, you know, I was doing day to day. And I had known Victoria for six years, mm -hmm. but when I first met her, I wasn't ready for the type of relationship, mm. you know, that I could have with her. So I, we were friends. We dated a couple of times. It was lousy. She was looking at me like, my God, I'm attracted to you, but yeah, I'm not ready for a relationship. Right? <laughs> Get it together. Right. Yeah. right. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. Right. I had a, a, a nice job. I was a clinic director. I was running a clinic in Queens uh, when I got out of graduate school. And uh, the executive director, the guy who was my supervisor, told me, said, we're going to leave out marital status questions. It's not politically correct to ask those questions now, okay. so we're not going to do it. 
So here comes Victoria for an interview at the clinic I'm running, right? She's a social worker. And about halfway through the interview, what comes out of my mouth? Are you married? I felt like the words were traveling slow motion over. If I could have knocked, she looks at me. She knows the question is a little bit like, what? And she goes, are you? Mm, Flipped it on you. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, She got hired, put on another schedule. We laugh about it now. But I say to her, I knew you were the one when I met you. Wow. But I didn't I didn't want to know. Wow. I knew it. Some part of me knew that this person and I could have something, but it was much too early. Mm-hmm. So anyway, six years went by. She referred a patient to me. Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard from her for a year, year and a half. I was out of that clinic. I was on private practice in Manhattan. And we started talking year and a half. We lived together and we got married. That's the end of the story or the beginning or the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So I'm interested in the changes that can occur psychologically that make it easier for people to form and sustain a healthy love relationship. That's my thing. Have you ever thought about your car personality? What's your vibe? Do you like the classic fully gas powered engine? Are you a best of both worlds type? Driving on battery power while keeping gas on reserve just in case? Or are you more inclined to choose a convenient hybrid ride? Whichever your vibe, there's a Hyundai Tucson to match and powertrain to get you there. Hyundai's 2023 Tucson lineup pairs the tech you want with sleek and stylish designs. They paid attention to all the details, the seats, the dash, the available panoramic roof, you name it, Hyundai thought of it. All while making sure each trim has enough room to hold space for your grocery runs, festival nights, and tailgates. Okay, Hyundai, when it comes to your journey, Hyundai is there for every mile. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the 2023 Hyundai Tucson. The 2023 Tucson plug-in hybrid is only sold in California, Colorado, Connecticut, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, and Vermont. Okay, so I I personally struggle from abandonment issues. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give someone who needs to work on that so that they aren't attracted to or drawn to folks who might abandon them, i.e. are emotionally unavailable? Yeah, or yeah. who they will abandon because they're used to this pattern. Either or. Those yeah. are the two lessons you can learn. And some people do both. Okay. Abandon in one relationship, get abandoned in another. I, In my book, I talk about an unlearning method, three-step okay. method that I think encapsulates the answer to your question. The first step in unlearning, because an abandonment experience early in life teaches things Mm -hmm. unconsciously. Mm -hmm. You don't know what they are. We don't know what they are, but they teach because they're experiences and experiences involve learning. Mm -hmm. And that learning becomes the blueprint in the back of the mind that permits replicated experience to occur over and over again. So the first step in making psychological change is always consciousness. Mm -hmm. If you see it, you can do something about it. You don't see it, it's way over here. Who knows? Um, So the first step is being able to take a look and tolerating whatever discomforts come with that Mm. look, because you're trying to find out what you've learned from the experience of abandonment that's active and dominating or can be your love life. So first step is consciousness. Abandonment is a very powerful experience. May I ask you if it was your father or mother? It wasn't a specific parent. It was more of like a teleological, like religious sort of framework that I grew up with that was basically giving me the message that if I didn't do X, Y, or Z, God would, would abandon me. Oh, I see. Okay. So the step two is once you've identified what it is that is abandoning, Mm -hmm. then the next step is to challenge consciously its effect in your life. That challenge is an interesting, it's an interesting function. We possess the ability to challenge things that we've learned, Mm -hmm. things we've been exposed to. We're very interesting creatures. We can hold two things in mind at the same time. Mm -hmm. We can be connected to old habits and we can know that they're unhealthy. (laughs) So it sets up a little bit of a, what I like to call a therapeutic conflict Mm. in the brain, in the mind. 
And that's good because I believe that's a step towards change, is to create a situation where consciousness now is saying to the unhealthy thing that you've been exposed to, no, you're mm. not going to control me. No, you're not going to automatically make me feel bad all the time. Yeah. Right. And that kind of opposition, I think, is a step in the direction of empowerment. It's mm -hmm. a step in the direction of psychological management. It's like people being able to say, I have something to say mm -hmm. about what I've been taught, mm -hmm. what I've been exposed to. It's not just, okay, everything in the family was beautiful, good yeah. or bad or indifferent, and I'm just going to replicate it for the rest of my life. And you know how many people I felt that live like that? Mm -hmm. That's scary. Isn't it most people me. who live like that? Well, <laughs> I didn't want to say that word, but <laughs> my oh my God! Okay, sense. you know, in in my in my PowerPoint presentation on this topic, my second slide is a little bit of a shocker. I, I use the same word. Most people are not in control of their love lives. Hmm. Like, okay, what is this guy trying to tell us? Yeah. That's as powerful as what you just said. Most people are not aware of what they've learned when it's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so step three is an interesting step because step three is a correction. Mm. And the correction comes when we think of the opposite. For mm. example, the opposite of abandonment in a relationship is commitment. Mm. So if you've been abandoned, say, by a, a parent and you have abandonment occurring in love relationships, now it's conscious, you're challenging it, you're realizing it's unhealthy, you have a sense of what you've learned, and now you're seeking the opposite. The opposite mm. is commitment, attachment. That's a practice. Okay. It's a practice. What that means is that, okay, at this step of the process, I'm going to look for the opposite. I'm going to study the opposite. I'm going to understand the opposite. I'm going to make that opposite powerful in my life. I'm going to look for signs that people can commit. Mm. I'm going to find it in the stories they tell when I go out on a date. Mm. I'm going to have it consciously in mind. Commitment. <laughs> Not in the back room, yeah. right in the front where you can read it. Yeah. I'm going to look for evidence. I myself, I'm going to build it into my own life, and I'm going to try to put people in my life that have that capacity. Mm. Now, for example, right? Okay, uh, say a woman in my practice says, okay, we're working on abandonment. We're at stage three. We're trying to find the correction. Correction. I went on a date. I want to tell you, Dr. Jordan, about the date. Uh, okay, tell me about the date. Okay, this guy is a middle-aged man. He divorced once. Okay, divorced once. He was with his wife for five years, blah, blah, blah. He's got two kids. The kids are with him, and he's a very active and responsible dad. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking commitment. Right. <laughs> right. That's, that's a, evidence. That's a sign of commitment. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a guy that stays in one place when his heart's in it, and he's yeah. doing something. He's got kids to raise. Falls in love with a woman, he's going to be committed. He gets the kids because he's got some devotion going mm. on. And that is yeah. a sign. So I tell my patient, mm, interesting guy. <laughs> you going to make another date with him? <laughs> I'm not telling her to, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be interesting. Another date with this guy. <laughs> um, but that would be, and that constitutes practice. I use the word practice because the part of us that learned the old way is strong. It doesn't mm. want to go away easily. We have to unlearn and learn something new. And oftentimes the new is not easy. I've had women who've been abandoned uh, end up a lot with men who are emotionally unavailable. Mm -hmm. I was reading about this the other day. Mm -hmm. That's a little phrase that's got a lot of impact to it. Emotionally unavailable. And they end up with this kind of guy. And it's kind of like something akin to neglect, abandonment. It's mm -hmm. in that general ballpark, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, wait a minute, how come all the men you've been dating in the past couple of years are emotionally unavailable? Mm -hmm. That kind of statement 
thought about consciously is a little bit shocking. It's like, yeah. wait a minute, am I like, like a, uh, like I, I, I don't know, going back to the same flower all the time? <laughs> I mean, what, yeah. what is this? Uh, I have to do something about this because the unconscious, repetitive, compulsive nature of it is going to control my love life for a lifetime. Mm. And that's dangerous. That's mm-hmm. tragic. I heard, so, I've heard of the term ab- abandonholic or something like okay, that. Okay. I like that. Never heard of it. I'm going to, no copyright on that. <laughs> Abandon- I saw yeah. it on Google. Yeah. Um, um, mm-hmm. And it's like this process that you're describing where you're constantly gravitating towards people who are emotionally unavailable because unconsciously they're going to abandon you. <laughs> Yeah, you you have okay. a sense of that unconsciously, but it's so. And here's a dirty word: familia. Mm. Why is it dirty? Because yeah, the word is family is in it. Uh, familia. Yeah. You know what's difficult for a lot of people when they begin this process of unlearning the unfamiliar. Mm, the unknown the unknown the yes. unfamiliar means Beautiful. I'm stepping outside my family of origin teachings. And I'm doing something unknown, Mm -hmm. discovering something new. But in that, there's a lot of possibilities. There's Mm -hmm. there's the possibility of moving in a new direction, making something healthy that was unhealthy, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And do you find that sometimes women will gravitate to emotionally unavailable people because we want to, quote unquote, fix them? Oh, 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 yes. Okay. How does that play a role in this? Absolutely. In my book, I talk about the psychological love life. The psychological love life is my way of describing what's in our minds that we bring to our love life. The blueprint, mm-hmm. right? And there are three things in that psychological love life that stores what we've learned about love relationships. The first thing is the ways we protect ourselves in love. Chances are, if you've had a disappointing love life, you probably have some unresolved hurt some fear of getting hurt, Mm. and you have defenses and ways to try to cope. Look for love, but keep yourself protected. That's the first thing that's there. The second is the experiences we've had that have gotten into our love life, like Mm. the ones I mentioned for me, dependency, control, and uh, self-centeredness, different relationships that teach us things that are unhealthy. They're also in there. And what we've learned, the beliefs, behaviors, and feelings that we unconsciously use to create these experiences over and over Mm. again. So what you pointed out was the first item, the defenses. Mm. We have defenses. One common defense is, I'm going to make a better woman out of you. (laughs) I'll love you to death and you'll change your ways. Another one similar is, I'm going to substitute one person after another looking for that perfect partner, Mm. which, as far as I know, on earth does not exist. (laughs) Then there are people that use multiple partners. Because nobody gets in deep enough to hurt me. Mm. And in addition, there's other kinds of defenses, like be in a relationship, but keep a distance. Okay. Be in a relationship, fight all the time, because that way I am not vulnerable. Mm. Or how about avoid love altogether? So these are different ways that people learn to protect themselves. The problem with this stuff is that it stops you from learning what you, finding out what you've learned about love relationships, the very thing you need to find out to change your love life, to improve your love life. So defenses are a problem. If you've got somebody who's been hurt a few times in love and they're very, very cautious, they're really not letting themselves be open be vulnerable. And love and vulnerability are best friends. Mm. The only way you can make a love life healthy for yourself is to have an open heart. Mm -hmm. That's a risk because if you get hurt, you have to believe you can heal it and move on. Learn something from the hurt and move on. If you don't believe that, you're going to stay at a distance. So trying to change people is really a distraction away from oneself. If I'm working on you, I'm not doing me. True. (laughs) It's so true. And what do you think about sort of like the messages that we get from the wider culture, like pop culture, that do not necessarily reinforce 
the value of commitment and relationship? Mm. How do big we problem. guard big ourselves problem. against that? Yeah, big problem. I wrote a, I have a blog, lovelifelearningcenter.com. It's been up since about 2012. And I wanted it to be like- What is the distinction? Online where people, I have about 300 plus articles on that blog where people can go and read some real stuff about love relationships and so on. Real info, accurate info, clinically accurate maybe. I'm sorry, I lost your question. Your question was- <laughs> <laughs> How pop culture reinforces yeah, the opposite um, of- Right. And I wrote a, I wrote a post recently- about polyamorous relationships, okay. which I think has been growing in popularity. The idea mm-hmm. that you can have a polyamorous lifestyle where, you know, you love the one you with. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of. And I went into that topic gently because people do have a right to have the kind of love lifestyle they prefer. Mm-hmm. But my personal professional opinion is that there's a defensive quality to that, Mm. as I mentioned, in the way in which I'm keeping people at a distance. If I have five lovers, I'm not letting anyone in deep enough Mm. to be in love. See, I can love people in love. That little word in, that's a big one. So in love versus love. I mean, the defensiveness that's involved in keeping people at a distance by having multiple partners, I think that's a little misguided Mm. and I worry about it. I think marriage has been on the decline lately, you know, mm-hmm. and I worry about that too. We've had a divorce rate up around 50%. It, it gets lower than that, but it goes up and down, up and down. And I think that there's a lot of people replicating unhealthy relationship patterns mm-hmm. unconsciously. Sure. And that's really something that we have to do something about. So that was the spirit with which I wrote the book and tried to communicate this idea that it's really a learning experience. And learning is a user-friendly concept, you know? I think it is, you yeah. know? it's a, If you know that it's learning, because we learn from the beginning of life, mm-hmm. schools and so on. So we need to work on our love life. That's That's what I would say. And now everyone for something different. ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a very cool company who I subscribe to because they provide meat that is free range, grass fed, uh, really, really healthy. And I love consuming healthy stuff, all about that healthy lifestyle. And so this Black Friday, your search for amazing deals on high quality protein ends with ButcherBox, this company. ButcherBox is offering our listeners, all the listeners of the Heart Speaks podcast, one of their best steak deals, free ribeyes for a year, plus $10 off. You can get two 10-ounce ribeyes free in every box for a whole year when you join, plus an additional $10 off. That sounds like a cool deal to me, especially if you're really into steak. You can sign up today at butcherbox.com slash heartspeaks and use code HEARTSPEAKS, all caps, to get free ribeyes for a year plus $10 off. That's butcherbox.com slash HEARTSPEAKS and use code HEARTSPEAKS, again, all caps, to get this special Black Friday deal. I noticed on your website, you had a few Mm -hmm. different, I would call them virtues Uh that you encourage people to practice. So I would love to ask you, if you have any recommendations for specific practices around these virtues. So you list commitment, respect, freedom, independence, honesty, consideration, restraint, trust, devotion, acceptance, and mutuality. So I'm just going to ask you about a few. I'm not going to ask you about all of them. Please, (laughs) please. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's start with independence. How does one practice independence, especially for someone who may be listening, who grew up with that sort of dependency and seeing uh-huh. dependency, how do they shift? Well, I want to say that, you know, dependency is the definition of dependency is uh, wanting someone to do something for you, you can do for yourself. Mm, OK, when that's the case, it automatically implies dysfunction mm. for the person who's trying to be dependent. OK, so. There are people who are dependent for healthier reasons, like they're ill, Mm -hmm. they're disabled, they need help uh, in one way or another. And it's not because they're dependent in an unhealthy way. Mm -hmm. It's because they have limitations. They're real and they're part of the person. 
So what I'm talking about, unhealthy dependency, is when people want you to do stuff for them that they can do for themselves. So independence means that it implies that you're taking care of yourself and you've built that. You've Mm -hmm. strengthened that. Mm -hmm. This is an adult value that I think permits a person, for example, to get into a love relationship and not try to manipulate the other person Mm -hmm. to do things for them they can do for themselves. It sort of suggests they can share Mm -hmm. that I'll take care of me, you'll take care of you, we'll take care of each other. Mm -hmm. It permits people to be themselves in the fullest sense of that. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, moving away from the idea that I have to get other people to take care of me, even though I can take care of myself. And some people who are dependent, they really haven't left childhood disappointments behind. Okay. So they're trying to be adults and get other adults to take care of them. So that's an example of unhealthy dependency. Independence is realizing that those childhood deprivations and so on uh, have been grieved and mm. left in the past. And so there's now, a, sounds yes. like there's a mourning process that has Absolutely. to Absolutely. In adulthood, realizing that certain needs belong to childhood is a little bit of a mourning experience. Mm. It's like, okay, I'm 50 years old. I have to let go of the things I wanted mom to give me that she never gave me. Because <laughs> if I keep thinking about this stuff and trying to get it in my love life, I'm going to be very disappointed. Yeah. And it sounds like that's something that would blend into mutuality. Mutuality is another word for intimacy, in my Mm. belief, because it involves two people giving to each other, Mm. sharing. Sharing is a very important idea when you're talking about a healthy love relationship. Two people putting in so that there can be a healthy relationship experience for both. So mutuality involves things like, I just don't think of my needs. I think of your needs as well. Mm -hmm. Mutual. You just don't think of your needs. You think of my needs as well. Mutual. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a relationship like that, you get your bases covered. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's an exchange going on. You feel like it's not one way. And one way, the common vernacular is narcissistic relationship, which is Mm -hmm. a little bit of a technical word to describe self-centeredness. I use the word self-centeredness because people can connect to that a little bit better. Self-centered person wants all the attention. Mm. Others that are in relationship with self-centered people feel insignificant. Mm -hmm. It's all about me. So you're in my shadow. Yeah. That kind of thing. And, you know, you bring that pattern into a relationship, you can start to figure, uh uh-oh, there's not going to be much mutuality. Yeah. Going to be one-way streets. Yeah. And not healthy at all. So mutuality is really a developing ability in adulthood to share, to think in terms of a couple, Mm -hmm. be in a relationship, and it's about two people, not Mm -hmm. one. And that's a very healthy progression. Yeah, I have a friend who was just in a relationship that didn't have mutuality. And it was very heartbreaking. And what about devotion? Because when I hear devotion, you know, there's a sort of religious undertones to that term. So I'm curious how you how you hear it and how it lands for you. Uh, my definition is secular. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking in terms of the opposite of neglect. Hmm. So like nurture? Uh, Elements of nurture are in it, but it's more like devotion means I'm going to pay attention to your needs Mm. all the time. When we grow up with a devoted parent, that's a parent who thinks about what we need on a daily basis. There's Mm -hmm. devotion. Devotion is commitment in another sense. It's it's the opposite of neglect. Uh, Neglect is more like part-time caring. Mm. You know, it's unpredictable at times. You you get a little and then not enough. Mm. So there's always a feeling of deprivation that pervades devotion. There's no question Mm. that a person is involved Mm -hmm. and intimate. Mm -hmm. So you can see how some of these words join each other for definition. So and it's interesting, the list you talked about, it's so interesting because the opposite, the unhealthy opposites, I focused a lot on. And then when at the end of the book, I realized, wow, the healthy opposites, that's the definition of intimacy. Mm. The intimate relationship is the best relationship to set up when you fall in love. 
Mm-hmm. So here's a yeah. well, continue, finish your thought, and then I want to ask you about one more. Because I'm inter- I'm very interested in the type of relationship people form when they fall in love, and I studied the different types that don't nurture grow mm. love. I'm also interested in answering the question: which type does grow love? Yeah, the one you all those characteristics, all those opposites. To me, that's the definition of the intimate relationship that Mm. grows love. If you have a relationship that incorporates each of those qualities, you have a powerful relationship that nurtures love like a plant. Mm. Love is like a seed. With these qualities you listed, love will grow. Mm, So these are like the waterings of love. These are the watering. I mean, I'm not suggesting we can control love because love has a mind of its own, but it sure loves these qualities. (laughs) (laughs) Love loves these qualities. Mm -hmm. And so what about restraint? (laughs) Okay, restraint. The unhealthy opposite is intrusion. Mm. Um, intrusion is let's do the unhealthy intrusion is when you grow up with experiences where the boundaries are not acknowledged okay reinforced present Mm -hmm. so intrusion means i get into your personal space your privacy i do that's a violation the feelings you're going to have a violation so the opposite of that is restraint restraint another phrase for it is Mm self-control. To be in a relationship and to respect your partner involves elements of knowing what is your privacy, what is your individuality, what is mine. Mm -hmm. So a healthy love relationship is like an umbrella with two individualities underneath it. Mm. There's space for you and your true self, your individuality, to coexist with mine under this umbrella. That's healthy love relatedness because there's room for you to grow, there's room for me to grow, and I'm not intruding on your individuality. I'm Mm -hmm. enjoying seeing it grow, develop. Yeah, I uh, uh, true love involves that element, you know, enjoying the individuality of your partner. Yeah, I'm not here to change you. I'm here to enjoy the experience Mm. of you. Yeah, I feel that we lack that skill set. Some people do it better than others. Yeah, but it's correctable. Mm hmm. If you become aware, challenge what you've learned and do something that sits an opposite direction in place in your love life. And that ability to see someone's individuality is related to or could be defined as acceptance. No, I'm sorry. I don't know what that means. Could you clarify the the capacity to be able to instead of wanting to control another who another person is instead to accept them as they are and love that experience of them becoming that is acceptance is that what you That's, mean by acceptance yeah that, it's acceptance but it also involves accepting the things i don't like about you so i have a that's tricky right because obviously if there are things that i don't like about you that will prevent this relationship from blossoming in the first place. Wait, no, okay. You said the the important word, prevent. Hmm, That's the distinction. Right, prevent. So yeah, say more about preventing. That's the... Uh, Can you reiterate your statement with the word prevention? What did you say? What I'm wondering is, you said you want to be able to accept what you don't like about a person, right? Mm -hmm. But there are some qualities that I might not like about a person that would prevent us from having a sustainable relationship. Right. And if it's at the level of prevent, then you should move on. (laughs) Okay. And find out early. Well, yeah. And you will know early Mm because I think we know early whether Mm. someone is there for us. We delay knowing. (laughs) We don't want to know we know. Yeah. We want to believe that the thing we don't like doesn't exist. Mm. Uh, Another dirty word, hope, comes in. (laughs) Why is hope a dirty word? In this context, it's lousy. Okay. Uh, Reality is a lot better. Mm. (laughs) If I sit with someone and I'm contemplating a relationship and I don't like them, but (laughs) I like other qualities about them, Mm-hmm. But their personality turns me off and I convince myself to stay in it. I'm mm. not doing myself any favors. I had a situation just like that recently. And I knew deep down that I did not 
like this person, but I convinced myself Ooh, to say that another, scared another me. dirty word. Convinced. That scared me. <laughs> I, I convinced myself to see beyond his personality. Oh, oh. You know what I would do with that? I would what? ask you, wait a minute. Who's doing the goddamn convincing? <laughs> oh, right. She's not treating you right. Hmm. She's trying to convince you to stay in something negative. Something your heart's not in. I want to know who she is. Who is that? that? Yeah. I want to know. Is that you identified with somebody? Mm. Is that the part of you that doesn't care? What is that? I I want to know. I think it was the part of me that didn't want to upset the other person Mm. because he was so into it. He was oh. so into us. Oh, yeah. And I would I would say upsetting the other person for a good cause is healthy. <laughs> True. What's important is to give your feelings the respect, not the man. Mm. Your feelings are first. Mm-hmm. The man is second. Mm-hmm. He will find another. He will move on. Mm-hmm. I don't much care how he feels. <laughs> I care about what you feel. Mm-hmm. That little feeling that this is not the guy, that feeling should be at the top of the list. That That's what makes you say, I've had a nice evening, but I don't think this is going to go anywhere. See you later. Yeah. And uh, you, uh, you, you look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Knowing that yeah. your feelings are received by you mm-hmm. without hesitation. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's really important. So that you don't suppress them or... Oh, do another dirty word. <laughs> Why is that one a dirty word? Uh, Suppressing feelings. My feelings are my voice. Mm. They tell me what I like and I don't like. They tell me what I value and I don't value. They tell me everything about my insides. I don't suppress feelings. I paid thousands and thousands of dollars Mm. to increase the amplitude of my feelings. (laughs) I stepped out of my family of origin. I couldn't even hear my feelings. Oh, wow. I spent years on a couch learning how to pay attention, Mm. increase the amplitude and volume. Now my feelings speak nice and loud. I love that. And I pay close attention to them whenever they show up. Mm -hmm. And how do you distinguish your feelings from sort of a whimsical, maybe you don't have this problem, but... How do you distinguish those feelings from a whimsical impulse that you might have? Impulse involves action. Okay. A feeling is an emotion. Uh, I can have an emotion and I don't have to act on it. If I'm acting on negative emotions, I have a problem. Okay. If I'm acting before I'm considering what these things mean and I'm paying attention to my feelings, I might also have a problem because, you know, I've met quite a few people who have acted impulsively and unfortunately are incarcerated because of it. Mm, Yeah, there's always that. So impulse, impulse is another dirty word. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, impulse, I I, I can imagine mild forms of impulse where, you know, you kiss somebody that's not expecting a kiss who you're on a date with and you've dated her five times and you want to express your feeling. Okay, you want to take a risk. You have the impulse. Okay. But there are plenty of other examples of impulse where bad judgment could be involved. Sure. So you want to minimize it as much as possible. I, I like the idea, think before you act. Mm-hmm. Consider your feelings whenever possible. I like that kind of mental life. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, have you been inspired by folks like Carl Jung or F- Freud, like who who are some of the mentors that you have had intellectual or otherwise in developing your ideas? Yeah. Sigmund Freud discovered some very interesting concepts, but unfortunately he was never analyzed and never treated. Mm -hmm. He was a bit of an authoritarian person and he was traumatized in his younger life, apparently, Mm -hmm. from the little bits of information about him. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are limitations in how Freud uh, actually treated patients. Mm -hmm. Uh, Freud was pretty good with the theoretical parts, understanding Mm -hmm. psychoanalysis, psychology, uh, in depth. A lot of his concepts are are timeless. Some concepts are not. Mm -hmm. Um, So Freud kind of started the ball rolling. Jung and Freud got into a bit of a tiff. uh, Jung, extremely bright, genius level guy who Mm -hmm. believed that 
the unconscious was not just about family history. It was also about cultural archetypes and all kinds of collective unconscious kind of stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And he studied a lot of that, which I think has value and should be understood. But he's a little bit too far into the theological psychoanalytic perspective for my taste. So I tend to be more interested in how the interpersonal experiences in our lives affect Mm. how well we function and -hmm. what kind of uh, mental life we have. There was a man by the name of Sandor Ferenczi, a right-hand man to Sigmund Freud. He was a a lover. He was an excellent doctor. He uh, believed in uh, the interpersonal processes. He tried to study trauma. Freud moved away from trauma. I think Freud was afraid of what uh, revealing how traumatic Victorian society was. Sexual mm. trauma, physical trauma was all over the place in those days. It still is, unfortunately, but it's important to understand what effect trauma has on people. And Freud had didn't have the stomach to really look at that the way it needed to be looked at. But this man, Sandor Ferenczi, he did. And uh, people had a hard time with his observations and so on. But ultimately, Sandor Ferenczi was acknowledged as an excellent analyst and had a lot of treatment uh, ideas that were very effective. I uh, He analyzed some a woman by the name of Clara Thompson, who was a psychiatrist here in New York. Mm-hmm. She analyzed a man by the name of uh, Benjamin Wolstein, who was an analyst through NYU postdoc, and I was analyzed by Benjamin Wolstein. Oh, wow. So it's like your lineage. <laughs> My lineage is back to Sandor Ferenczi. Hmm. And uh, and so I'm a, I'm an interpersonal psychoanalyst. I'm on the faculty of NYU postdoc. I'm a, that's my specialty is psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. I I like the love life area, unhealthy mm-hmm. love lives, because I think people suffer a lot from what's going on unconsciously in that area. And mm-hmm. I I have a regular practice as well. And my wife and I practice together. She. Her office is next to mine. We're in a, mm. a group practice together. So that that kind of adds an interesting partnership to our relationship. Sure. Um, but my thing is relationships. I think relationships can be healing, mm-hmm. but I think they can also be toxic. Mm. And what we learn from relationships, in my opinion, has a lot to do with the quality of our psychological, emotional life. And have you seen any trends in the past 10 years, some new or persistent toxic traits that seem to be coming up more than others? Well, I think uh, people are trying to medicate Mm. pain quite a Mm. bit these days in the advent of pharmaceuticals, opioids. I think that drugs in general are abused for the purpose of trying to numb feelings. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, alcoholism is part of that picture. Mm -hmm. Um, And the availability of drugs, various drugs to do this, even some of the psychotropic drugs Mm -hmm. that are available can be abused. So I think that's an unfortunate thing because uh, when people use drugs to deal with their emotional lives, they're not growing. Mm They're not developing. They're not solving psychological, emotional problems. uh, And that's not good. Mm. It's important that we grow, learn, unlearn, develop. And I'm very interested in how people can work on themselves to do that. You know, Uh, so one of the trends is to use substances. I see that a lot. I still think people are uh, mistreating each other too much. Yeah. I see evidence of that in my patients. Mm. There's still a need to make mental health more important. Mm -hmm. It has legal parity with medical health, but I don't think it's quite there yet Mm. uh, in terms of equal, equal, you know, consideration. Yeah. But I think that we really have to move more towards an understanding of the importance of our psychological health. Uh, and, and it has a lot to do with how our physical health turns out. And it has a lot to do with our relationship health. So what's in our minds is very important to, mm. to understand and work with. And I'm hoping that that happens. You know, uh, I'll give you an example yeah. of this. Back in 1972, a doctor, I believe he was a psychologist, doctor of education at the uni- University of South- Southern California, I believe. This guy, uh, Leo Bas- uh, Buscaglia was his name, um, and he wrote some books on love and, and learning. 
And uh, he had a class where a woman committed suicide, and I believe it was over a love life problem that she was having. And he was so distraught, you know, Mm -hmm. emotional kind of guy. He was very distraught at this. So he went to the administration of the University of Southern California and said, look, uh, I I need to teach a love class. Mm -hmm. And they laughed at him. Leo, don't you have better things to do? Come on. I mean, what are you talking about? And he persisted and persisted and persisted till finally they gave in and they permitted him to use a classroom for no credit. Mm -hmm. And he taught it for four years. Hundred students enrolled every year, standing room only. Yeah. And he he was so moved by it. And he said, listen, I don't know if I can teach you what you need to learn about love, but I'll do my best and we'll learn together. Mm. And to me, and, and if you ask me, is, is there a love class at the University of Southern California in 2022? The answer would be drum roll. <laughs> No, (laughs) I bet you no. Okay, we'll have to check that out. Which which doesn't mean it's not needed. It is. We don't learn about things like love, relationship in school. We have to. We have to. At some point in the future, we should take some of these things. Another thing we don't learn in schools that we should is grieving. How to grieve. I've been thinking a lot about that. We have no... We're not encouraged to mourn. No. Uh, and we don't have a mourning practice. Either. Yeah. Stop crying. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, yeah. be a man, be a woman. Oh, boy. Come on. You cried. Crying is so natural. It's the first emotion you had when you showed up in this world. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> How natural is that? So you know? true. Man. Well, Dr. Jordan, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today. Same here. Same here. Is there Same any here. any last piece of advice you'd like to share with our listeners? Where can we find you? And and tell us the name of the book one more time so we can go Yeah, the, the, the name of the book is Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life. And when people, it's available on Amazon and people uh, look for it, put in the whole title, Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life. It won five book awards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of proud of it. I didn't have any idea it would end up being what it, it it's very interesting. It's easy to read. It's a, I wrote it as a guidebook. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that people use it in that way. Uh, I also have a website, lovelifelearningcenter.com with uh, articles and stuff about uh, love life problems and solutions that are accurate and, uh, and useful. And uh, people can contact me or my wife through the the website. Mm -hmm. We offer love life consultations by phone for anybody who, say, for example, reads the book and feels like they need a little consultation to help Mm -hmm. them along. So all of that's available at the lovelifelearningcenter.com. Awesome. We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes for this episode. So thank you for sharing. And um, yeah, thank you for coming on the pod. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Clory, you you be well. Had a good time. Thank you You so much for inviting me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.